Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and who love history and making things and the history of making things. And we like to start by talking about what we've been making and or baking recently. So, how's it been going? I have been working on a waistcoat because I don't know how to gradually step up the complexity of projects. (laughs) I went kirtle, apron dress, waistcoat. I mean, sometimes it's more motivating to just try making the thing you actually want to make anyway. Well, yeah, even if there are 12 pattern pieces... And they're all weird shapes, and you have to do a thing where you sew up some of it and then turn it inside out and then sew up the rest. How bad could it be? I mean, I've seen one (laughs) picture. It looks good. (laughs) The picture you saw was before any of the fiddly things had been done. (laughs) Okay. But I've got the lining together now, which the, the pattern was printed slightly wrong, apparently. According to a couple of the people that I asked about it. Oh no. Um, There was a picture indicating the wrong side when it was the right side and it was very confusing and I had to unpick a bunch of stuff. But now the lining is together properly. (laughs) So I might have it ready in time for Pride, who knows. Rejoicing. Ah, awesome. I'm excited to see you in it. It feels like a waistcoat occasion. Very fancy. I like that you have a formal pride outfit. Well, not yet. I still need to make the waistcoat. (laughs) But I'm thinking like waistcoat, tie-dye shirt, something covering my essentials, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But then it is pride, so who knows? (laughs) What have you been up to? (laughs) Um... Bit of uh, last minute because I went to a reenactment last weekend. Ooh. I was at Battle of Evesham and it was fun. It rained all day on the Saturday, so it was a little bit miserable. We all sort of huddled in tents. Um, but... <laughs> As I'm sure people did at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, one of our group has a charcoal brazier that can be brought inside the tent, so it was actually quite cozy in there. Um, yeah, and it was good. Yeah, we had some uh, games, we did some cooking, I uh, brought my flax and uh, attempted to do some flax spinning. <laughs> Turns out that's quite hard. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm going to continue practicing. Um, we had lots of people, uh, we were in the living history camp and People were really interested in the flax, actually. People kept coming over and being like, what's that? Um, So that was fun. Um, And uh, we had had a great wheel, a walking wheel for spinning. We spun some wool on that. So that was really fun. There's um, someone got a great shot of me doing that, which I will put to the Tumblr um, for anyone who's interested. so, yeah, it was a bit windy. Um, there was a moment where we like just heard the group across the way from us yelling help, and the awning over their cooking fire was being blown over. Oh no! 
<laughs> but fortunately, um, by the time that we absolutely pegged it over there, um, they managed to get under control and nothing was on fire. So it's all good. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a good time. It was a good weekend. I had fun. I had to make a veil very quickly because last year I borrowed one. Mm-hmm. And um, I needed my own for this year. So I had to make a veil and a fillet. Um, and I went for just like a semi-circle, which turned out pretty good. Um, yeah. But that, that was pretty much the extent of it. Um, my crafting time recently has been making the bits that I didn't have for my uh, 13th century kit and then um, just trying to figure out (laughs) how to comb and spin flax on a hand spindle (laughs) which I'm definitely not a master of yet but it's been fun learning and and I think I'm getting somewhere so yeah that's that's been it Um, pretty much that is that is very cool it was a fun time I think part of the thing I really enjoy about reenactment is just like trying all the stuff for yourself, um, like doing the thing with your hands. Um, I learned how to chop wood. <laughs> my aim isn't great, but my chop is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, but hopefully some some cooking maybe some baking will be in the future because my chilies have turned red nice i have successfully grown chili peppers and i'm so proud it only took like six months (laughs) (laughs) they're finally here so um, i might try making some chili jam or some kind of fun thing um oh i bought some delicious um mustard more of which later but it's a medieval icelandic recipe um with like cinnamon and anise and it was was delicious there was a stall that was doing like um historical condiments (laughs) that's so cool though (laughs) yes um (laughs) it was fantastic i ah i should have brought i should have got you something uh i'm I'm going to check if they have a web shop because that would be a great birthday present, I think, for you. Yes. Um, yes, it would. But yeah. It's called The Copper Pot, if anyone else is interested. But anyway, that's that's me. That's my making and baking. What are we talking about today on the podcast? Um, So you will remember throughout July, I ran a bread bracket on the Red and Thread Tumblr. Yes. The winner with 93.6% of the votes in the final, absolute sweep, was (laughs) Nan. A landslide for Nan. Yeah. Um, And I did promise that I would do an episode on whatever won, so I'm here to talk about Nan. I I would love to hear about Nan. I am a fan of Nan. Nan is delicious. Nan is very good. Um... So yeah, Nan probably comes from a... So Nan just means bread, from the Persian word Nan, meaning bread. Okay. So Nan bread is one of those classic examples of 
bread 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 <laughs> um so yeah we 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 can trace the word back all the way to middle persian where it meant bread and also food oh so it's one of those it's like I don't know, it's one of those things that crops up in a few languages where basically a word that is just a general food also refers to bread or grain in some way. Is that do you think that implies that it's like a massive staple in the diet? If like it's just when you say food it's like automatically, oh yeah, that that's bread. I think so, and we certainly know that they were eating bread at least six and a half thousand years ago mm. in the area that um, was covered by the Indus Valley Civilization. Okay. Like we're saying, I mean, we have in English meal, you know, a meal also means coarsely ground grain, so it's it's... Oh. For, and I, th- I think in Japanese there's a word that is like a generic word for food that's very similar to the word for rice. So it's it's very much a okay. this is our staple crop. It's food, which I quite enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we th- we think that naan goes back to the Indus Valley civilization because it is cooked in a in a tandoor oven. Um, which you probably come across tandoori chicken, which is basically chicken which is cooked as it would be in a tandoor oven, which is a big like urn-shaped clay oven mm-hmm. um, that you can use to roast meat or get your bread dough, um, like naan dough, and just slap it on the inside of the oven so that it sticks and cooks there while you're doing other things. Oh, okay, yeah, I think I've seen like videos of that. It just they just kind of make it look this. Mm. And if you position it right, you can have meat juices drip onto it. Mm. Kind of like a Yorkshire pudding, I guess. <laughs> um, so we think that they were making naan bread right this far back, but we have the use of the word. Um, naan e tanori, or bread cooked in a tandoor oven, in the work of an Indo-Persian poet called um, Amir Kushro in the 1300s. Is the poem about bread? <laughs> it is. It is not in an actual poem. Sadly, it's in his like general notes. Oh, I was hoping it would be like an ode to bread. There may well be an ode to bread, it just did not show up in my research. (laughs) But I mean, a lot of the things that I found were in languages I do not speak. Um, So yeah, we know it was being eaten by 1300 and was specifically eaten in the Imperial Court of Delhi. So it's fancy bread. It is fancy bread. Um, By the 16th century, it's actually a breakfast food of the Mughal rulers. I've never thought about having none for breakfast, but that sounds good. 
Interestingly, one of the kinds of naan that you get from like Indian restaurants now kind of harkens back to that. Because one of the main things that you would have naan with for breakfast if you were a Mughal royal was keema, which is basically spiced mince. Oh, and okay. I don't know if you've had a keema naan. Yeah, yeah, where it's like inside the the bread. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's basically like a fil- a meat filled naan. Oh, so it's another pasty relative. It is. Everywhere we go, we find meat in <laughs> like stuffed inside of bread. Everyone has a, a pasty. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that the, the pasty is the first incarnation of, of the meat and bread, but it's the one that is is the meat and bread to me, so... Oh yeah, I mean, you could equally say everyone has a sausage roll, but yeah. we know it, we didn't start with sausage rolls. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Up until the 1700s, it was still this very much a royal associated thing, which I suspect is because it's not just water, flour, salt, like a lot of bread is. Mm -hmm. Um, It actually also has yogurt and often ghee, which makes this really smooth, really elastic, quite rich, given the lack of sugar, dough. Although there are also versions that have honey in the dough. Oh, that sounds good. Which I really want to try. But after 1700, we start to get records of it being eaten by regular people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we know from the, the travelogue of William Took in 1780, which is the first mention of it in English, that it wasn't just being eaten by the upper echelons of society. Okay. The naan has trickled down. It is. It's trickle down bread. <laughs> it's all that ghee. It just melts. <laughs> <laughs> but even now, it's not an everyday bread for a lot of people. Like everyday bread would be things like roti and chapati. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. That you can just cook them in a pan, right? Yeah, and they're they're more often unleavened, whereas naan is usually leavened. Okay, I didn't realise it was still quite a sort of requires a bit of time and effort bread. I mean, compared to things like roti, which is much closer to, I mean, I would say at least is much closer to more like a um, tortilla. Okay. In terms of the process by which it's made. Versus a naan, which is leavened, which means it requires proving time and more kneading. And then you cook it in this specific oven rather than being able to do it just on a pan. Or even just by, like, holding it. Basically, it's a, a video that I watched that I'm trying to describe, where they basically had the round roti dough. And a flame and we're basically just turning it very quickly near the top of the flame and cooking it that way. You can't really do that with a naan. You, you need the tandoor. Mm-hmm. 
well, you can do it in an, in a modern oven, but you get what I'm trying to say. Like, it's still more effort than something you can do in a frying pan. Yeah, I imagine that would require some some sort of finagling to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it is thought to have been introduced to India from Persia because of its association with the Mughal Empire. Oh, okay. And that's pretty much all I have for the history of the naan. Like, there's not a lot to it. But one thing that I learned about when I was researching the naan, which I wanted to share, was um, Peshawar, and which you might have heard of the Peshwari naan. Yes, very delicious. Have had. Would you like to describe the Peshwari naan? Ah, uh, it's so, so, it's another bread with stuff in it but what's in it is like almond um is it almond and sugar almond sugar spices things that would have been a lot more expensive through most of history Mm, yeah they're so good and the reason for this is that the peshawar region in pakistan was a really important stop on the Silk Road and earlier trade routes with places like Afghanistan. Ah, so you got access to all the nice things and Mm -hmm. naturally you put them in your bread. Yeah, like this was the cosmopolitan area of what was then India. Obviously, Pakistan is now a separate country, which is a whole thing. Um... But because it has the Khyber Pass, which was basically the way through the mountains in that area, mm-hmm. it was just this incredibly important trade and military spot to the point that people in Peshawar had a- access to all of these things relatively easily compared to other places in South Asia. Okay. So you get this much sweeter, fancier stuffed naan. Oh, I'm definitely going to be thinking about it differently next time I have one. Like, this this is a symbol of like the, the cosmopolitan um, exchange of, of trade and ideas. Mm. It's also my favourite naan, so I'm quite glad that it's so fancy. <laughs> well, like, I don't know, I find Indian sweets a little bit overly sweet sometimes, so if I want, if I know I'm going to want something sweet afterwards, I'll get a Peshwari naan and have it for pudding. Ah, oh, dessert bread. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that is, that is my brief overview of naan. Oh, I liked it. There's, there's a reason it won the bread pole, for sure. <laughs> and, like, well-deserved, especially considering its, um, like, fancy history. Oh, I'm very glad to know more about the naan. Mm. And, and now I really want some. Yes, yeah, same. <laughs> Have a craving. <laughs>
last time on Tales of Mortera. Awesome. 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 We can't like tread upon <laughs> our brain with you. I thought she was going to try and, and surf on the horse. K- get dead? Yeah. Uh, you want to kill me? I'm a wizard. I've always got plans. Tales of Mortera, an actual play podcast. Available wherever you're listening to this right now. Well, my local larder is um, not related at all. There is some bread in it, but um, bread is very much not the star of the show. <laughs> um, so you remember that mustard I talked about that I bought from the park? Yes. So it's uh, it it's the thirteenth century Icelandic mustard, <laughs> and I so I was. I was browsing the stall and, you know, this caught my eye and I was like, really? Um, and it turns out it is made from a recipe from the 1200s uh, that that comes from an Icelandic manuscript. Um, and so I was like, that's cool. I'd, I'd really like to try that. So I got some mustard and it was very nice. It was very good fish. Um like we had it with some smoked mackerel and it was. I mean, I guess it makes sense that an Icelandic condiment would be good with fish. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so it had like cinnamon and uh, anise in it. Um, uh, yeah, just generally delicious. Um, sure if I, yeah, yeah, they have, they do have a web shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, they have these really nice cordials as well. If you send me a link, I'll put it in the episode description. Uh, yeah, I will do. Um, I am very happy to, to advertise um, <laughs> this business. <laughs> Hashtag not sponcon. Not not sponsored, but if they want to give me more mustards and like hot chocolates and things, <laughs> they are very welcome and I will sing their praises. Because I'm guessing the hot chocolate isn't 13th century Icelandic. No, no, but they do Georgian hot chocolates. Um, and they do like spice mixes for wine um yeah <laughs> and they have verjuice okay and cordials um and and like chocolates um so at the risk of this turning into an advert what is today's local larder anyway <laughs> basically um I got a bit carried away there. Um, basically, I got interested in this. So I was like, oh, that could make a good local larder. So I was like, mm, I'll see if I can find this recipe. And I was like typing in Icelandic mustard. And that led me to discover the Icelandic hot dog. Ah, yes. I am familiar. <laughs> uh, which, I yeah, I didn't realise that you knew about. So... Um, I think it came up on one of those days of like, pick a random country and we'll eat something from there. And we were too intrigued by the the phrase Icelandic hot dog to not try it. <laughs> yes, so was I. I was like, what, what makes it an Icelandic <laughs> hot dog? And it turns out there's many things. Um, okay, so the Icelandic hot dog, um, apparently uh, it is locally known as the pilsur. Uh, is it's a hot dog, but it has some very specific toppings and a very specific sort of makeup. Um, 
So the hot dog itself is made of lamb, pork and beef. Um, and apparently they, it usually uses uh, local ingredients. And so um, that's that's quite sort of distinctive to begin with. Um, usually they're boiled, uh, and at the most famous hot dog stand um, in Reykjavik, which is Bejarin's Bestu Pilsur, there's a rumour that they're boiled in beer. And that's that what... would lend a nice flavour. <laughs> Apparently that's what gives them dis- the distinctive taste. Um, but it's uh, unconfirmed. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's a mystery. Um, apparently the sausage, um, yeah, the, the lamb is, is what gives it uh, the, the sort of distinctive taste as well. Um, and I, Iceland is well known for its sheep, which I did touch on on some of our earlier episodes on mm-hmm. sheep breeds. The Icelandic sheep is a direct ancestor to uh, the Viking Age breeds of sheep that were brought to the island. Um, and they they have the sort of double coat fleeces which are used to make the famous Icelandic jumpers. Um, anyway, I'm getting off track. <laughs> We're getting <laughs> on to sheep. But so that's the hot dog. It's served in a normal hot dog bun, but it's the condiments that really make it as well, the toppings. Yes. So apparently the best way to order the Icelandic hot dog is with everything on. Um, and the everything includes fried onions and fresh onions that gives it a bit of crunch. Mm-hmm. Um, ketchup. Uh, and apparently the ketchup is made from both tomatoes and apples. Uh, and there is a specific ketchup um, that is served at this specific hot dog stand uh, that was the ketchup... Th- business was created specifically to supply this one hot dog stand that is amazing (laughs) is is incredible um i really want to try some i feel like the apples would be nice Mm. i feel like they give it you know a sweetness yeah we we didn't manage to get tomato and apple ketchup when we tried it we just put like a little bit of applesauce on it (laughs) Which is probably sacrilege to someone in Iceland. I feel like that would work. Um, The the ketchup is is called tomatsosa. Um, So, it has ketchup on it. It has onions. It has mustard. Icelandic mustard. Specifically hot dog mustard. And this is a, a, a key ingredient, apparently. It's a brown mustard because it uses brown mustard seeds. And it's quite a light mustard. So it's only sort of slightly spicy. 
And then it also includes a remoulade, um, which is a mayonnaise base, uh, which also includes mustard capers, pickles, herbs, and uh, things like turmeric, garlic, and paprika. So quite similar to a tartar sauce. Yeah. So that's at least, that's three sauces and also onions. Onions two ways, you said. That's three sauces and onions two ways, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, why not? Sounds good. (laughs) So, obviously, um, sausages have, have been popular for a long time. Um, but the term hot dog, sausage and a bread with stuff on top, is a 20th century import. Um, but they apparently didn't have a lot of pigs on the island at that time, but they traditionally, there was sheep farming. Um, mm-hmm. So they they started using the, the lamb in the hot dogs. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that that's kind of where it started. The the very famous um hot dog stand opened in nineteen thirty-seven. Um and it's still the most successful one to this day. They have several branches. Uh but they've remained just little stands. Um they didn't expand to, you know, restaurants or franchises or anything. Oh, and I apparently really like that's that. part of the secret to the success. They remain like a, a cult classic food. Mm-hmm. and yeah they're, they're just uh they are wildly popular apparently it's apparently um if you've been on a night out hot dog if you've been to the park on a weekend hot dog you just got back from a dog walk hot dog like hot dog every occasion <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds great honestly um they've even had a famous visitor uh, Bill Clinton, oh. <laughs> on his trip to Iceland in 2004. Okay, he wasn't just visiting the hot dogs. Ah, uh, no. Is what it sounded like. <laughs> Apparently not. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was. I don't know too much about Bill Clinton's 2004 trip to Iceland. But what I do know <laughs> is that he went to the hot dog stand and uh, he caused controversy by ordering a hot dog with only mustard. What? I mean, I wouldn't even do that here. Like, you gotta have the ketchup as well to balance it out. <laughs> Not even onions. Wild. Um, anyway, this style of hot dog is now known as the Clinton in Iceland. <laughs> Immortalised by a hot dog mistake. <laughs> His greatest legacy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... With with all that that's available, I I'm definitely holding out to try one with everything on top. Oh, hundred percent. Um. So now you all know about the Icelandic hot dog, and I hope you have a great time with that information. <laughs> I am going to think about Bill Clinton every time I see a hot dog with just mustard on. Uh, I'm going to send you the picture of him with the hot dog because it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> this one will go on the Tumblr too. Oh, he looks so uncomfortable. 
He's like, oh, I messed up. <laughs> the hot dog lady's like, look at this room. <laughs> this man is in charge of a country. <laughs> he looks so sheepish. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to support the podcast, and who knows, maybe one day send us to Iceland. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash bread and thread uh, you can find us on tumblr uh, bread and thread also um, where we will have um, things that we reblog about history um, teasers for upcoming episodes pictures of things uh, that we talk about on the podcast um, these things also used to be available on our, on our twitter um but for various reasons, uh, we are moving off that platform. I'd say about 40% by choice. Hmm. Um, it was a handy space, but we're, we're, we're now looking for a new home. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have an email address, though. We do. Email forever and always. Which is breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. So if you've got any ideas for episodes, um, you want to tell us you're Icelandic and you want to tell us your opinions about hot dogs um, or any other thing you'd like us to see, uh, drop us an email. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.